Well, it's finally happened. You've moved out. You're on your own. Congratulations. But everyone still needs a little help sometimes. Mom, have you seen my wallet? It's in your back pocket. Nah, I checked there. Your other back pocket, dear. Ah, thanks, Mom. Introducing the Mom Personal Assistant, the only smart speaker device with all the wisdom, caring, and sage advice of a mother. Mom, please call Brad. Honey, I'm just not sure he's right for you. Just call him. Okay, calling Ryan. No, Mom, I said call Brad. Trust me. The Mom PA always has your best interests in mind. Wish me luck, Mom. Big interview today. Did you eat breakfast? Uh... Is that what you're wearing? Wait, what? <laughs> Did you even shower? She's there to provide a helping hand whenever you need it. Mom, set a timer for 40 minutes. Mom? The mom personal assistant won't function until you say the magic word. Oh, right. Mom, please set a timer for 40 minutes. Sure thing, hon, but it's only 30 minutes for that dish. The mom PA is always correct and basically knows everything. Mom, what setting should I use for this laundry? Mom, do you think I should color my hair? Hey, mom, can you please order mac and cheese? You still have two boxes. What? No, we're out. Did you look? Yeah, I just looked. It's gone. Do you want me to look? Uh, no, no, it's okay. I'll go look again. Try looking with your eyes this time. Based on God's perfect design, the mom personal assistant is thoughtful, kind, encouraging, and supportive. You are beautiful. It's okay. You're gonna get through this. I am so proud of you. You can change the world. But right now, hon, you really need to change your socks because they smell like a dumpster. Ugh, mom. The mom personal assistant. Always helpful, always reliable, and always there for you. It the unthinkable, the shift that showed our frailty. Nonetheless, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. We are separated, we are isolated, and in this world, we have trouble. Nonetheless, we take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. We are conflicted and frustrated, weary too. But nonetheless, those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. We are down but not out, sidelined but still in the game. We fight for our families, we hold on to love, we strive for kindness, but the hard times get harder. Nonetheless, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. We walk through adversity. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. We know to whom we belong and we know where our hope lies. For he is the first and the last. The Alpha who is and the one who is to come it looks bleak they say it's grim there's a lot to fear but nonetheless we are strong we are courageous we are the church good morning abc family and welcome to our online service this morning whether you are sitting by yourself at your computer or your iPad or whatever, or if you're sitting in your living room with your family, I hope you'll turn the music up and let's worship together this morning. 
something may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Oh, my God will never fail. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he will win. I'm not backing down on any giant. I know how this story ends. Yes, I know how this story ends. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good. You turn it for good. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good you turn it for good
storm surrounding me, let it break. Let your name still call the sea to still, the rage in me to still every wave. Let your name, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, call these bones to live, call these lungs to sing once again. I will praise Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. Your name is a light that the shadows can deny your name cannot be overcome your name is a light forever lifted high your name cannot be overcome jesus jesus you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. You silence fear, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. is a light that the shadows can't deny your name cannot be overcome your name is alive forever lifted high your name cannot be overcome your name is a light that the shadows can't deny your name cannot be overcome your name is alive forever lifted high your name cannot be overcome jesus jesus you make the darkness tremble jesus Jesus, you silence fear, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. My mighty God, we thank you so much that you have already given us victory, that at your name the darkness has to flee. 
In your name, you defeat our enemy completely. Trust you for that victory and live out that life the way you've called us to. God, we love you. Be honored and glorified today. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you. Actually, it's good to be seen, I suppose, this morning, and glad you've joined us by video. Um, I want to ask you a couple of questions. I'll remind you of something at the end of our time this morning. Uh, the question is, what scares you the most? What, what is the thing that is most frightening to you? And so if we, if we were to ask that question, some would say public speaking, some may, may say roller coasters, some would say the dark, you know, whatever it is. And uh, we've gotten used to something uh, in the middle of this coronavirus that when we start talking about enemies, the question is, and, or have you heard the term unseen enemy? Um, there was a, and I, I did a, some research on it because it's not an unused term. Uh, the, the, the phrase unseen enemy was a title of a short film in 1912. It was a documentary in 2017, and it was about viruses. And then it's a, a term used to describe stress, but most recently, this COVID-19. However, there are um, some references to unseen enemies in Scripture that are vastly different, and Peter references that in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 8. See, today we arrive at the the final words or the final thoughts in this letter that Peter wrote to the exiles. And I guess if you can imagine this, Peter writes this, and it's almost like a text with all caps. He, he's wanting to shout it because he wants it to sink in to us. Now, you remember that as if we think about the whole letter of 1 Peter and who he's writing to and what he's writing about, we talked about the identity of Peter at the very beginning that he was an apostle, he was somebody who hung out with Jesus on a regular basis, he was called from being a fisherman to being a fisher of men, and, and we find him going through different scenarios, we see him denying Christ and walking away and then being restored and then becoming this, this great voice in the early church. Uh, Peter was, would have been considered a failure and a great success all at the same time. And so when Peter writes this letter, um, 30 years removed from the resurrection, what we find is that he's writing this uh, with some goals for the church. This was a church that had been a part of a church that had been exiled. And so Peter's goals were to strengthen the church, encourage the exiles, and to further the gospel. What he didn't want them to do is move to Asia Minor because of persecution and then turn around and sit. He didn't want them to move into that place and then find a pew to park in for the rest of their lives. He wanted them to be active as the church. And so Peter's audience was persecuted. They were discouraged. They were displaced. They were isolated, but they were God's chosen. They were the people of God chosen by God to, to bring him glory and to honor him. So let's go ahead and read 1 Peter, uh, starting at verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 8. This is what it says. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, 
knowing that the same kinds of struggling are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then we wrap up the very end of this letter. It says, By Silvanus, a, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of, grace of God. Stand firm in it. So we see this, this last part. He's saying he's repeating what his goal is. Then in verse 13, She who is at Babylon, and we know that was those saints who were in Rome, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. And in church, we've got to be really careful, especially now. So, so at home, maybe you can do this. But greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And so when Peter writes this, he is writing to these exiles and encouraging them in their faith and in their walk with Christ so that they would make a difference in the world around them. So there are three things I want us to grab. There are lots of blanks. If you downloaded the, uh, the message guide for this morning, there's lots of blanks, and you'll be able to fill those in as we walk through this message. Um, the first point in this we'll, we'll do right after we pray. So let's do that first. God, we thank you for our time this morning. God, I thank you for Wayne and Emily and those in the it was sound and video this morning, Father uh, Jeremiah and Isaiah. And, and uh, Father, I just thank you for our opportunity to look at your word, to do it differently than we've been used to in the past. But Father, looking at it and realizing that we can identify with the exiles in so many ways. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning and that you would encourage us and strengthen us for the task ahead. Father, that you would allow us to be not the coward church in, hidden in isolation, but you would help us to be the church that is bold on mission for Christ, that we would be the ones who are the carriers of the gospel. And so, Father, help us today to glean some things that will stretch us and make us even a little uncomfortable that it would bring you glory and so god we thank you for this time again we pray these things in jesus name amen so the four, first point this morning is to be alert there is an aggressive adversary in verse eight what peter writes here he says be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The first thing I want us to get out of this, in, in this be alert, there's an aggressive adversary, is just the disposition of the exile. What are they supposed to be like? Uh, they're, they're supposed to be sober-minded, which means calm in spirit, not panicked. And what we see around us, if we look around, we've seen a lot of panic over the last a month and a half. Um, he, Peter also writes to be watchful or be alert. It's the idea of avoiding destruction. So it's paying attention so that I can avoid the potential of destruction. It's a it's about it's kind of like a military sentry watching for danger. It'd be at the edge of the camp seeing if there's anything coming to attack. 
And then Peter goes on and he, he describes this enemy. It's the description of the enemy. He says he's an adversary. That word in the Greek means to be an opponent. In the legal sense, it is somebody who is an accuser. And so we see the adversary, he's an accuser, and he's talking about the devil. Revelation 12.10 says this. It says, oh, I guess I should have gone through this on the screen. Disposition of the exiles, description of the enemy. Revelation 12.10 says, he who accuses them before our God day and night. He's talking about Satan, accusing. And so when we look at this, we understand that Satan is an accuser. And, and if we were to look at this person called the devil, it, Peter describes him as a roaring lion seeking to devour. Um, roaring, and I, I did some research on what lions do, and I realized that they lay around a whole lot during the day. Now, they lay around a whole lot during the night. They really are only on the hunt for two or three hours a day, but they are very specific in how they hunt. And so I looked up and said, why does a lion roar? And roaring is the way that a lion marks his territory, but also signals danger. And so Peter describes, and, and I don't know why Peter would even use this term except for what he knows uh, about lions. He describes the devil as a roaring lion seeking someone to, to devour. So let's look at the characteristics of the devil. First one, he's devouring. He's going to swallow. That means to swallow up. The second thing is he is someone who discredits. He's a slanderer. And then he's also deceptive. When we look at deceptive, it says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. John 8, 44 says, You are the father of the devil, he's talking to the Pharisees, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we know that Satan is a liar. He is deceptive. He is also a destroyer. Uh, he seeks nothing more than to destroy those things around him, especially those things that would want to bring glory to God. John 10 says that he is a thief that wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And then Satan is also demanding. He wants his way. Um, Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31, you remember, this is Jesus talking about um, the push on, on one of the apostles' lives about what Satan is asking. He says, he is demanded to sift you like wheat. And so it's the, this idea that Satan is demanding and wants his input. And then Satan is determined. He's opportunistic, if you will. He looks for vulnerabilities. In Ephesians 4.27, do not give the devil an opportunity. And so in all of these, devouring, he discredits, he's deceptive, he's a destroyer, he's demanding, and he's determined, we could categorize all that and say Satan is dangerous. A roaring lion is dangerous. You don't want to be around it when, when that when that person or when that entity gets upset. So we have the disposition of the exiles to be sober-minded and um, to be watchful, the description of the enemy, Satan as a roaring lion, and then the definiteness of the encounter. Um, Peter assumes in this section of Scripture 
And notice that he doesn't say if Satan would affect you or if Satan would want to go after you. He assumes that Satan will. And he's alive and working in the church. He's working around the church. And he wants to be in, in the life and the church of the believers and the exiles and you and me. And so Satan is, is that one that we can count on attacking us as we seek to honor God. So the first point today is to be alert. The second point is to stand firm. And for there is strength for the struggle. Verse 9 says this, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So there is strength for the struggle. We need to stand firm. Believers are members of the resistance. Now, I know that if we talk about political things at this point, we'd say, I don't want to be part of the resistance. That's not where I'm at. Well, this has nothing to do with politics. It's about um, this idea of submitting to God and resisting Satan to stand opposed or resist him. Ephesians 6.13 says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And then James 4, 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so Peter um, talks about that we are to stand firm. We are to follow the, the examples of Paul and James as well in, in looking at this. Believers are to be members of the resistance of Satan. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Believers the second thing, believers are to be grounded in the truth of God's Word. Believers are grounded in the truth of God's Word. And so if we spend time in the Word of God, it gives us a weapon in resisting Satan. Uh, I don't know if you remember the movie Twister. Toward the end, there's this really large twister, and the two main characters get together, and they're looking for a place to hide, and they go to some different places that you and I would never hide during a tornado. Um, places with sharp instruments, but they end up in this, in this shed this, around this well, and they grab hold and strap to um, a well pipe, and the well pipe goes, goes deep. And essentially, they're holding to something that is anchored. And we have to find the anchor to withstand the force of Satan's attacks. And so we go to the Word of God that is our anchor. And so believers are to be grounded in the truth of God's Word. Thirdly, believers are better when they are together. Believers are better when they're together. And I realize that at this particular time, I mean, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six people in this room this morning. And so it's not like the church is gathered in this room. But we are together in going through this study. We are together as a body as we try and affect our community, even in the middle of this pandemic. So we are better together. We are to be a brotherhood. And what Peter reminds them, says, resist him, stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter is telling them, say, understand, you are not alone. How many times have you heard that in the last several weeks? You are not alone. We are together. We will beat this thing. And it's all in the, con in the context of a of the coronavirus, but when we talk about the church and being together, 
We are much better together. We are not alone, even though we may be physically separated. Third thing this morning. So we had be alert, stand firm. The third thing is to take heart. There is help and healing by God's grace. Help and healing by God's grace. Verse 10 says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you into to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. To take heart, there's help and healing. Our source for success is found in the God of all grace. Well, where else would we look for, for something to help us sustain? Now, if we take the current virus situation, where have we looked for help? Well, one of the places is we've looked to the government for help. We said, we need you to provide testing sites. We need you to provide a cure. We need you to provide money. We need you to provide all these different things. And, and that may be all fine in the context of earthly living within this nation. But when we talk about um, real help and the real source of success, it's found in the God who offers grace that we could get nowhere else. It's not in safety, or it's not safety or avoidance, mercy, but in grace. And grace is just an undeserved gift of God. See, we would likely desire to avoid the difficulty or the attack, the temptation, and the failure. But Peter knew, and you remember Peter's story, you know that he knew that life is sweeter when the grace of God is applied to your life. And so can you name a time of difficulty when you were sustained and strengthened by the grace of God? Can you name a time when you were sustained and strengthened by the grace of God? And I would imagine that if we went into everyone's home, we'd be able to come up with a particular time in our life. We could talk about raising kids. I could talk about being a young adult in Atlanta, um, having left home as a 19-year-old and being placed in a very unfamiliar territory and how God's grace was poured on me and saved me from different things, even in that situation. And we need God's grace. And it's the, God's grace that strengthens us for difficult circumstances and sustains us when we think there is no way to survive. And then the, the second thing is our solace comes when we realize what God does in our lives. And we, we find comfort in that. And so if we look at this verse, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself do what? He'll do these. He, he has called you. He will restore you. He confirms, he strengthens, and he establishes. To be called means to be called into his glory, chosen by God. For Peter, it is a foregone conclusion that he is writing to people that have a relationship to God and are sustained by God. So regardless of the suffering, God is still in charge. Second thing is to be restored, to be, to be perfect, or to be repaired, to be complete. God takes us and, and he, he looks at us in our failure, just like Peter would have understood this, just like he looked at Peter post-resurrection and says, Peter, I love you. Do you love me? Go feed my sheep. 
and be restored to the ministry that I have called you to. And then confirmed or to be held securely. You know, when we talk about our salvation, we are held by the grace of God. It's, we didn't earn our salvation and we can't, we can't do something to lose our salvation. God offers that salvation and we accept his offer and he sustains us and deposits the Holy Spirit in us as someone who holds on to us that no one can pluck us out of God's hand. So we are confirmed, we are held securely, and we are strengthened. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, But the Lord is faithful, He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So we are strengthened and we are established. Um, It's a foundation for strength. Let me back up for just a second. We are established. Um, When we lived in Florida when I was in high school, you know, when you're, when you're a senior, around senior time in high school, um, you can get in a little bit of trouble. And I didn't get in a lot. I was the compliant child growing up. But I had a friend that I would hang out with, and we would try different things. And so we, we took a, um, it was the old Wagoneer, the Jeep Wagoneer. And it was kind of like a super large station wagon. And we took it into this mud bog, really sand. And we went in there, and we got it stuck. And so we were trying to figure out how to get it out, and he didn't live very far from there, and his uncle had a place of business close, and so we went to another place and got a pickup truck and came over and tried to pull the Wagoneer out of the the mud with a pickup truck. So as we're trying to do that, uh, what what ended up happening is we ended up getting the pickup truck stuck. So we had two vehicles stuck in the mud, and we couldn't do anything. And so my, my friend was pretty resourceful and had some connections. So he went and got the backhoe from the uncle's business and brought the backhoe over. So to get the truck out and the Wagoneer out, he had to pull a backhoe out. And I don't know where the keys were. I didn't ask. All I know is it took something bigger to get us out because the foundation on which we were driving was gone. And when we talk about God's grace, we're talking about, and God, uh, God strengthened in us, He establishes us with a foundation of strength that cannot be pulled out from under us. So as we kind of finish up this last part of 1 Peter, um, understand that the God of grace is someone who sustains us and strengthens us. We know that we have an adversary, Satan, that wants to attack us and destroy us. And so it's going to come down to, um, and it's, it's not really like the little two people on, the, on your shoulders, but it's going to come down to, where are my loyalties and who am I going to listen to? So these are the things that we know. We know Satan is against us because he is against God. Satan is against us because he is against God. Second thing, Satan is skilled at making sin attractive and downplaying consequences. He's, he's well-versed at that, and he understands where our vulnerabilities are. He knows exactly how to attack us. Uh, yesterday was a really good example, and, and Deb and I had a conversation last night because yesterday was one of those days, and I don't know if it was the, the stress of, of different things going on or, or just being weary and tired, but we just had one of those days where it, things did not go well, and our conversations were not wonderful. And um, she may, we may have a talk about this when I get home. 
But it did not go well because I was being a jerk. Um, I was being um, very dramatic in a lot of things. And, and Deb started talking about it. She said, you know, this is really just a, an attack of Satan. And I, and I stood back and I just started to giggle. And she's like, what are you giggling about? I said, well, it's, it's, it's kind of in like point three, somewhere around point three of the message for tomorrow. And she's like, but did you not learn anything? I said, I'm still a work in progress. And it's just, just that way. And understand that Satan is skilled at making sin attractive and downplaying consequences. Satan was working on me, and I was re- responding in a way that was more of this, of sin, than it was glorifying to God. Third thing, this is another thing we know, that God is concerned for us, and he cares about us. Remember where it says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for us, and that we are to be submissive to him and pay attention to him and listen to him and trust him, understanding that he is the God of all grace. He's concerned for us, and he cares about us. And then God is the final source of power and might. And so we have to remember to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God because that is the key to spiritual warfare. Humbling humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God is the key to victory in spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6.11 says this, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. It's that taking what God has provided and putting it on, clothing ourselves with that. And so the question comes up, to whom are we going to humble ourselves? Will it be to Satan's desires in wanting to affect God, or will it be um, humbling ourselves under the hand of God? And so there are some actions that we could take in response to Peter's encouragement and exhortation in response to his description of the devil and what the devil is trying to do in our lives. And so the first action that we could take would be to restore. And, and I use the word restore because, um, because, remember, God is a God who restores. So we're talking about restoring a commitment to reading God's Word. And so one of the responses this morning is going back and saying, I'm going to commit to read God's Word because in that, I find the weapon for dealing with the attacks of Satan. So restore commitment to reading God's Word. Secondly, identify vulnerability or at the same time developing a defense strategy. And you say, well, what do you mean? It's identifying where you are vulnerable. If, if lust is the issue, then staying away from things that would feed that lust. If, um, if cussing is an issue, is, is staying away from the, or watching your anger and staying away from the things that would cause you to do that. Now, I realize that if you hit your thumb and that's your response, there's hardly a way to avoid that, but try not to hit your thumb. It's avoiding the things, those places that, where we may be vulnerable and developing a defense strategy. And part of that defense strategy might be to call a trusted friend. Just say, I'm going to get on the phone. When I feel this way, I'm going to call this person. Because I know that they won't attack me, but they will listen to me and encourage me to follow after God. And then maybe list responsive verses. 
as you know where some of your vulnerabilities are, is to go through and, and list out a verse. Like, flee immorality. If lust is the issue, flee immorality. Avoid sexual desire, or avoid lust of the flesh. Um, finding those verses that encourage us to follow after what God desires. And then the third part of identifying is eliminating access points. It's just taking those out of the mix. If, um, if lust is the issue, and maybe it's, maybe it's pornography on a computer, and that's been the issue, is unplug the computer or find a, a program that will help you cut that off so that you don't find yourself in a position that you, as you're drawn to it, that you have access to it. So limiting access points. It's, it's like if you're an alcoholic, you don't go to a bar. That's, that's the way that works. And so don't find yourself in a place where you have easy access to what is your vulnerability point and, and not allowing Satan to get his foot in the door that way. So restore, identify. The third thing is to practice. To, to be recognized in spiritual warfare. And that's what I failed to do yesterday in those conversations. And, and I want to be, just as, as a note, and, and I want us to be real careful, is don't spiritualize everything. And that may sound really strange, but I want to tell you that it's likely not a spiritual attack. It's likely not a satanic attack if you forgot to put oil in your car and you blew up your engine. We would put that more in the category of not being very wise or being dumb. We would say that's not a spiritual attack of Satan. That's I forgot to do what I was supposed to do. So don't spiritualize everything, but, but recognize where Satan is working and, and uh, take that into consideration and then step back just a bit and say, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? And so, restore, identify, and practice. Now, as, as I kind of finished this, I started looking at that and going, you know, because of alliteration and all those kind of things, um, what I realized is those were the initials for RIP, or, or rest in peace. And I thought, well, maybe that's not good. But at the same time, it may be that when we are doing these things, when we're restoring to a commitment, to re restore to a commitment, to read God's Word, identifying defense strategies and practicing that we're really going back to trusting the God of all peace. And so maybe it is rest in peace at this point. Then we go to the last section where Peter identifies the, the one that has helped him to, to write this letter and then declares it's the true grace of God. And then he says, stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all who are in Christ. Um, this, this finish is in the context of all dominion be God's. That it's all His, and He is deserving of all glory forever and ever. So as we finish this and look at that and understand that Peter is writing these things with the idea that the church should be effective and that we should be the people of God on mission. We've been chosen by God. He is, he is intimately interested in us and cares for us. And in the middle of suffering and struggle and heartache 
and struggles with authority and all those things, Peter wants us to be strong in Christ. So let me ask two questions. The first one is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you come to the place where you say, God, I want to receive your gift. I want to receive forgiveness for my sin. I realize that I fail, that Satan has had his way. I've been kind of following whatever Satan wanted to do, and, and I realize that that sin has separated me from you. And I want to turn over my life to you and ask you to come into my life. Would you entertain the idea of a personal relationship with the God of all creation? Because he cares for you and loves you and wants the very best for you. The second thing this morning would be, is your life in need of course correction? Do you need to restore commitment to reading God's word, to to doing some of those things like identifying vulnerability places and developing a defense strategy, and even practicing the recognition of spiritual warfare? Um, Does your life need to be altered a little bit so you're headed in the right direction? Because it, it comes down to this question. How will you be defined? Will you be defined by somebody who is following God, who is seeking to follow God and trust Him in the middle of difficult circumstances, or will you be defined by the circumstances that you're in? And so as we consider those questions, let's pray. And let's ask God to be very, as He always is, to be faithful in revealing to us what things need to change on the inside of us so that what comes out is this picture of Christ that the world sees and that the glory of God would be lifted up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the time this morning, for who you are. Father, for your um, strength, for your grace, for all that you give us. Father, we know that we're not deserving of any of it. And Father, there may be someone that is watching that needs a personal relationship with you. And Father, I I trust and know that you will draw them to yourself. I pray that if they decide to ask you to come into their life, they would share it with the church body, even even if they call the church office or or share it with um, a staff member or, or put it on Facebook or some other way, they would let us know that we may be an encouragement to them. Father, for others, it may be that um, we're in the middle of something and we need course correction, but we need a trusted friend to come alongside of us. And so, Father, I pray that in, in a trusting action, trusting you, that we'd be willing to reach out to those around us and say, I need help here. And Father, out of that, there would be No condemnation, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But there would be this encouragement to follow God with every piece of our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would accomplish what you want to out of this message, out of Peter's final words in this letter to the exiles in Asia Minor and with us. And so, God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before, um, before we cut back to Wayne um, and Emily, 
I just want to remind you that next week we will be in our east parking lot. We're going to have an outside service for Mother's Day. So I pray you would join us um, at 9.30 and at 11, no, 9, 9 and 10.30. That's it. 9 and 10.30, if you would join us in the parking lot. Um, we're going to worship together. Um, we'll also have the FM transmission out in the parking lot, too. So if you want to keep your windows up or roll them down, you can do that. But we're trying to provide a safe place where we can gather together. But next Sunday morning, 9 and 10.30 for Mother's Day as we celebrate the Lord together. Um, let's continue to worship. Wayne? Down his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide. All the way my Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, and gives me grace for every trial. Feeds me with the living bread. You lead me and keep me from falling. You carry me close to your heart. And surely your goodness and mercy will follow. All the way my Savior leads me. Oh, the fullness of His love. Oh, the sureness of His promise. In the triumph of His blood. When my spirit clothed immortal, Wings as fly to realms of day. This my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. Jesus led me all the way. Savior leads me. 